you realize what an oddity we are in that regard. And so I want to make sure that I, I don't miss that. I see that. I'm aware of that. And the blessing of unity that uh, we have is because in a large part of your faithfulness as well. But tonight we meet another character out of God's Word who was faithful. She is a woman with a title. That's what we'll look at first of all. Secondly, she is a woman who was commended. Thirdly, she was a woman who was responsible. And fourthly, she is a woman who is an example to us on the pages of Scripture. I think that's why God instructed that her name be included. But she is a woman with a title. And, and I guess I'll, I'll simply begin with, with a question that, that I'll expect some answers to. What do you call or what did you call your grandmother? Now, don't everybody shout at once, but you think back to your grandmother or if you still have a grandmother, what do you call her? What, what term do you use for her? Grandma, okay? Grandma, okay? I, I have, Brad will appreciate this as well, I, I have uh, a couple of nephews and nieces who, who were told and instructed never to call my mother grandma. She is your grandmother. And that, that very formal term was always that which they used for her. The rest of the family, it was grandma. But it, it was just kind of interesting. Brad brings that out. Okay, so we got grandma. What else? Oma. Oma. Okay. Pardon? You're going to have to spell it. Try. <laughs> okay. Comes out of. It's a Polish. Okay. All right. Others. Nana. Okay. Another name for grandmother. Nana. Others. Mimi. Okay. Is that a coyerism or? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, on the close side. All right. Others? Anyone else? Bep. Okay. Others? Anybody? Okay. Well, that's quite a variety. And my guess would be perhaps if we had wider variety of backgrounds in, in our congregation, there might be others, okay, as well that might get included. And, and maybe for some of you it's, it's grandma with an initial or something like that as the title to distinguish one grandmother from another grandmother. What is unique about Lois is that she is the only one in Scripture who has that title. This is the only place in the Bible where that word is used. Now that doesn't mean obviously there weren't other grandmothers. There obviously were. And in a minute we'll, we'll go back to that. But she is the only one that bears that title. That, that ought to kind of stand out to us, right? That's kind of unique. But what is God saying by putting on the pages of Scripture the name of this woman, Lois, with her title, grandmother, and everybody else who could have been given that title, God, for one reason or other, it's not included. 
And I don't necessarily think that that's a comment from God about the fact that these others were not good grandmothers, but I think there is something God is communicating here. God is speaking to us through this woman, through her title, and saying, there's something we need to dig out of this. There's something we need to look at and to examine in this evening as well. The term grandmother, okay, our English translation, the Greek word that is used for it is actually in Hebrew the word nama or naomi. It makes kind of an interesting correlation because the one other grandmother that, that kind of is prominent in Scripture is Naomi, who becomes, you know, the, the grandmother then of Obed and Jesse and, you know, of course, David and so on, and is part of that promised line. But, but the word in Greek that comes down to us is related to her name, Nama, Naomi. So God is communicating to us the, the fact that in this woman we see something as well of that Old Testament, Naomi. We see something of one who is given a child to raise, to care for, that takes away hurt and ache and sorrow. For what is interesting, I, I, I'm sure, is the absence, you know, of her husband. There's the absence even of, of her daughter, Eunice's husband as well. Oh, he's referred to in the sense that Timothy had a father who was Greek. But the way in which it's written for us is, is sort of, he's no longer in the picture. We don't know why, we don't know what has happened. But you kind of get the idea as you read this account, that there is something happened within this family. Something that has caused hurt, something that has caused sorrow, something that has caused loneliness. Very similar to perhaps that which was occurring back in the Old Testament with Naomi. And the loss of her husband and her two sons. That feeling alone and yet God blesses that family for the child to raise and care for, even as we read it here as well. So one, she's a woman with a title. Secondly, she is a woman who is commended. Now let's, let's read this. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. So he's talking to Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, you know... I long to see you. I want to see you. When we separated, it was with tears. Timothy is Paul's spiritual son, not biological son. They, they've become, in a sense, related, as it were, through Christ. But it would appear Paul was, was pretty fundamental in, in Timothy's uh, upbringing spiritually, his nurturing spiritually. And, and Paul has the view of Timothy as, as being his spiritual son in Christ. And he has this longing, and, and he's thinking about Timothy. And when he thinks about Timothy, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. But it's a faith, Paul goes on to write, that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
See, there's two things Paul's commending there about this woman, Lois. He's commending, first of all, the fact that she, like Timothy, had sincere faith. Some of your versions uh, may use the word unfeigned faith. Kind of carries with it the idea of untarnished. And I've preached on it before, but the the whole idea behind the Greek word of sincerity is that idea of being purified, of being cleansed. It's, it's, It's that which has gone through the fire. It's a faith that has been tested. It is a faith that has gone through trials. In fact, if you go back, what's interesting, if you just keep your finger there, go back to Acts chapter 14. Because this is Paul's first visit when he comes to the city where Timothy and his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois live. It's the city of Lystra. And that account is found in Acts chapter 14 and it begins at verse 8. And it begins with with some great things. Okay, It it begins with this uh, astonishing miracle that that Paul and Silas do, but it ends with the people in the city of Lystra thinking that they are gods. And they want to worship them. They want to give them sacrifices and so on. But then Paul says, no, 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 we're not. And just like that, the citizens of Lystra turn, and by this time the story of Lystra ends, they're picking up stones and they're stoning Paul. In fact, when you come to the end of it, okay, go to verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. I mean, this is a city that, that on the mere, no, I'm not a god, is persuaded to actually pick up physical stones and to stone Paul. Now, understanding is that somewhere in this time frame, there is the conversion to Christianity by this family, which means that they are a family seeking to live out the Christian life, their Christian calling, in the midst of a very hostile environment. They have a faith, you see, that is sincere. They have a faith that is true. They have a faith that is genuine. They have a faith that is real. Because it has been tried. It has been tested. It's gone through the fire. That's why we come back to that word. It's sincere. It's honest. And Paul is saying, I see that, you see, not only in you, Timothy, but I know that was the kind of faith that was in your mother. That's the faith that was in your grandmother, Lois. A sincere faith. But there is a second word that Paul uses here to describe their faith. It's a faith that is indwelling. That's an interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother. 
Most likely what Paul is telling us is the fact that, that before Lois, there are no Christian believers within the family. That she represents the first one who has come to Christ. That first lived in your grandmother. If he had had a great-grandmother, Paul probably would have used that who was a believer. But that's not there. So once again, we go back to the fact of this, this is a woman who, who most likely has gone through many, many trials in life. Therefore, her faith, like Eunice's, like Timothy's, like Paul's, Lord willing, like your and my, yours and mine, is a sincere faith. But he also says it's a faith that dwelt. It's an indwelling faith. You might say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, if we think about Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, remember how, how in that parable the, the word is spread and there's various types of faith that are represented, some that grow quickly and die out and so on. But then there's that, that good soil. That's, that's what indwelt faith is. It's that, it's that faith that has taken root. It's that faith that lives deep within the heart, lives within the soul. It's not a surface thing. It's not a come and go thing. I, I was thinking about that in, in reference uh, as I was preparing the, the message, thinking about the work of the Gideons, which I'm sure happens. And, and they see that and can testify to it. Yes, there, there are these wonderful stories of people who come to faith in Christ. But there's also those who on the surface say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll take that Bible and read. Yeah, I believe it. And five minutes down the road, they're throwing it in the trash. It's not really a a deep faith, is it? Or yes, they come to Christ, but then the realities of what come to Christ mean, the responsibilities of what it means to come to Christ as they keep reading the word and they go, I don't know, maybe Christianity isn't for me. Maybe I'll go back to my Hinduism or my Buddhism. It's not an indwelling faith. It's a surface faith. It only exists perhaps in their heads and doesn't dwell in the core of their being in their soul. Lois is a woman whose faith dwelt in her. Meaning that that it's not fleeting, it's not passing. Meaning that it forms the very foundation of her life. Meaning that it is out of that life, out of that indwelling faith, that she lives out her Christian life. That's why I had us sing the the hymn we just did, Fill Thou My Life in Every Part. See, that's an indwelling faith that says, Lord, whether I'm at the market, whether I'm in the home, whether I'm at the cemetery, whether, whether I'm at the hospital, whether I'm in the schoolroom, whether I'm in church, whether I'm preparing a meal for my, Lord, wherever it is, may my whole life resonate out of this faith that dwells within me. That's what Paul is saying about this woman. Not only does she have a sincere faith, she has an indwelt faith. And the way actually Paul writes this in the Greek, the the tenses would lead us to believe that by the time he writes 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
she is dead. Meaning that she has had a faith that lived out until her death. That's why Paul can call it a sincere indwelling faith. It wasn't temporary. It lasted. It lasted until her death. She died a believer. She died faithful. She died in faith. She died with a sincere faith. She died with an indwelling faith. She is indeed commended by the Apostle Paul. She's commended by God as he breathes out his word to draw our attention to this grandmother who has a sincere indwelling faith. Third, she is a woman who was responsible. We need to turn ahead to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now she is not mentioned by name, but you, you can't miss what is going on here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We, we know where we get to. This is where we come to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture you know, is breathed out by God, profitable and so on. But if you back up two verses, listen to how Paul comes to that point. So we're at 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, he's speaking to Timothy again now, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it. So Paul is saying, somebody taught you, Timothy. Now, we could stop there and say, well, maybe it's Paul. And that's possible. Paul could even actually in verse, in verse 14 be referring to himself and say, Timothy, continue in, the, in what you have been taught because you know me. You know me, therefore you trust me, therefore don't waver from what I've taught you. He could be. But the next verse qualifies verse 14. Read verse 15 with me. And how from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How from childhood? Well, who do we know were present at Timothy's childhood? Eunice, his mother, and his grandmother, Lois. What two things do verses 14 and 15 tell us about this woman? One, she taught the scriptures. Timothy learned the scriptures from his mother and from his grandmother. From the time he was a child. In, in the, the Jewish faith, the, the understanding was at age five is when a child was to be, begin to be formally instructed in the scriptures. That's when that process was to begin. One would probably not doubt the fact that that's probably what Eunice and Lois did. They began instructing Timothy in the scriptures. Once again, we don't read of a father's faith ever about Timothy. So whether he's absent or whether he's agnostic or whether he's pagan, we don't know. But it certainly highlights the fact that, that even in face of that absence, 
of the Father's presence to lead and to train and to teach his son, these, this mother and grandmother stepped to the forefront and taught Timothy the Scriptures. It is no coincidence, you see. It, it's not just a matter of throwing things together and all of a sudden, oh, let's do one on Lois on, you know, that last Sunday in August. Because I know what happens the last Sunday in August. The Gideon is always here to speak to us about the importance of Scripture. What is Paul doing here? He's telling us how important Scripture is. Not just for the 20-year-old student at Grand Valley, but for our children, for your grandchildren, how important it is that the Scriptures are taught, that the Scriptures are learned. How foolish of us, and I mean that, how foolish of us to think, yep, I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to give the Gideons $100 because I want those, those kids over at Grand Valley to know the Word. But that we ourselves do not take the time to teach our own children the truth of that Scripture. That would be foolish. It's not one or the other, it's both and. She was responsible for that which was given to her, that which came upon her plate. She was responsible by teaching Timothy the Scriptures and making him aware of that which was true. And Paul is saying to Timothy, she needs to be followed. She needs to be listened to. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. What did he learn? He learned the scriptures from who? Eunice, his mother, and his grandmother. Because you know they loved you, Timothy. Because you know they're not going to tell you something that is untrue. Because you know, Timothy, they care about you. Timothy, listen to what it is that they have instructed you. See, actually, as as you think about this message, as you think about this passage, for us sitting here, there, there becomes two responsibilities. One, we're immediately, I hope we're immediately, thinking of the wonderful grandmothers that we're blessed with in our congregation. But there's also the second part of it, our responsibility there. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy... Don't leave that which you have been instructed in. Sometimes we are so tempted, right? We are so tempted when we, when we go through our high school years, when we go through our college years, even when we, we go into those, those late 20s and early 30s, we, we are so tempted to toss off that which we have been taught in order to grab on to something new. See, Timothy is in no different of a situation. There's all sorts of new and fanciful stuff coming through the pipeline of the Christianity of the day. There's this new heretical teaching called Gnosticism that is inviting, that is captivating, that would be so thrilling to grab hold of. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, leave it alone. Continue in that which your grandmother and mother instructed you in, in those scriptures 
hold on to that. That pattern of faith, that pattern of truth that has been taught us, that we have been instructed in, hold on to it. She was a woman who was responsible. Continue in, Timothy. You know, and when we we step back from, from this whole account and when we look at God's providence as we learn about Timothy and Timothy's work, he goes on to become this, this partner with Paul in mission endeavors. He becomes a church planter. He becomes the pastor uh, of, of one of the, the, the largest congregations or one of the most influential congregations of the New Testament times. You, you look at the influence that this woman of faith that this woman who was responsible had in its effect upon the church. Now, I know we can say, well, well, God's sovereign, God's controlling that. Yes, but God in his sovereignty also uses secondary means. That's what the Westminster Confession tells us. That, That it's not always just God, in a sense, directly operating. Okay, let me give you an example. Okay, what happened on Monday? Remember? It was a long time ago in the news world, I know, right? We had an eclipse, right? Did did God suddenly reach out his hand and say, well, you know, I'm going to totally change the way the world is. Moon, I know you're way over on the other side, but I'm just going to zoop, zap, right there, put it in front of the sun, hold it there. You say, well, no. Well, how did it work? Well, it worked through the laws that God has instituted. God has placed certain laws upon the working of nature so that what we saw was indeed a natural phenomena. A natural phenomena whose law was written by the Creator. God says, Parents, train up your children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's God's law. So when we do that which God commands us to do, and the results come, it's not like, wow, look at what I did. No, that's what God has done. That eclipse was that which God has done. Timothy becoming the pastor that he did is that which God had done. But he did it through Paul. He did it through Eunice. He did it through Lois. These were the means that God used. People come to faith in Jesus Christ through reading the word. We could say, wow, that's a miracle. No, that's the way God works. That's the law that God uses. His instrument at times is the Gideons. The scriptures that are placed in a hotel room or given out on a college campus. This is the means that God uses. But it is still God. We still need to be faithful. See, that moon was faithful to its calling. It did that which God called it to do. Lois did that which she was called to do. 
So fourthly, she is a woman who is an example. See, there are family Omas. I use that one. I don't know why, but of all the titles I could think of, that one just kind of keep coming back. See, there are, there are family Omas, aren't there? They're connected to us by genetics. They're connected to us by bloodlines. They're connected to us perhaps by legal papers. They're family Omas. But there are spiritual Omas as well. There are church Omas. And let me just speak to you Omas a minute because I know there are a number of you in our congregation. I hope one of the things that First Timothy or Second Timothy does is it realizes how needed and necessary you are. Not only within your family, but you are needed and necessary within the church of Jesus Christ. We need Omas. We need grandmothers. We need Loises. We need those women who come to us with sincere faith, who are responsible with the truth that God has given to them. We need you. We need you in terms of your presence. The church of Jesus Christ would look pretty strange without any omas. And I'll include you as grandfathers as well. It'd be a pretty strange looking place. There ought to be gray hairs amongst us. Just as well as there ought to be children amongst us. And the presence of children ought to dictate to us there ought to be spiritual omas present with us as well. Your presence is needed. Your wisdom is needed. Your insights are needed. You have a wealth of knowledge that has been drawn out of the Scriptures. You have a wealth of experience drawn out of Scriptures. You have a wealth of sorrows and joys that, that you have drawn out of those Holy Scriptures to help guide us, to help direct us. See, I don't think Lois was sitting there with young Timothy on her lap saying, okay, now let's just recite Genesis 1. I think she's telling him. She's instructing him. Timothy, we, we have this verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. Let me, let me tell you what that means. and Let me tell you about that experience. Timothy, we, we have the scripture that, that God is the one who has compassion upon us like a father pitieth his children. Timothy, let me tell you what that means out of my life experience. See, we need that drawn from your grandfathers and grandmothers. That life experience of taking God's word and applying it to our lives. How do you do that? How do you, how do you see that? 
especially with, with the busyness. And I know, and I know you grandmothers, and, and I'll speak particularly to grandmothers. I know you grandmothers love the fact that there are children here. You love the babies, okay? You know, you're, you're kissing all over them. You're hugging them. You're holding them, okay? You're, you're going, oh, how, when I come to visit you, you go, oh, isn't it so cute, all those little kids we have in church? See, you have a vested interest. That is, that's the heart of the grandmother speaking. A heart that says, I care. I care. And I, and I rejoice in little children. I don't even mind the noise they make. They're here. You tell me that. See, we need you. We need you for that stability that you can offer to that busy young mother who doesn't have time, who's, who's running to and fro, who can't figure out left from right because life is being lived so fast. Kids are growing up so quickly. They need your spiritual Oma. Now this is going to be a wonderful pat on the back, great sermon, but I'm going to include one thing. Okay? So, so don't weigh the sermon based upon this one thing. A lot of these mothers need some time sitting by their husband and worshiping. Some of these young mothers are in that nursery far too often. And it's because some of you won't take a turn once every three months. See, we, we need you there too. So talk to Ashley, let her know. But, but we need you. See, that's a ministry. Okay? You're, you're speaking. You're, you're giving this young mother an opportunity to sit next to her husband and to worship in all the busyness of life and all the complexities of life. Finally, time to just. And I know there's some of you who may say, well, nobody did that for me. It's not the way we operate in the Christian church, is it? It's not the way we operate. So at least prayerfully consider that. But let me share with you that last thought as well. You are needed for your prayers. Some of you do have a lot of time on your hands and you're, you're kind of bored And be praying for us. Be praying for the church. Be praying for the elders. Be praying for our deacons. Be praying for these young families. Be praying for them. Get to know one of them personally. Invite them over so that you know, find out who they are so you can better pray for them specifically. See, we need you, Lois. We need you. See, and it's, it's, it's not telling you, you've got to get faith. You have sincere faith. You've been responsible in teaching and training. But I don't want you to think your time is over and, and you're just taking up some space at Little Farms. No, you are needed. Paul calls our attention to it. Timothy's grandmother was needed and you are needed too. 
And one of the reasons you are needed, beyond what I have just said, is because you are appreciated and you are loved. You don't hear this, but when I have the opportunity to talk to to some young couples, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, she is so sweet, she's so wonderful, she's such a godly influence. You are loved and you are appreciated. What's the flip side? Timothy. Timothy. So maybe you're not a grandmother or a grandfather here tonight. You're going, well, what's it? Timothy. Listen to them. Hear them. Speak with them. And continue in the faith that they not only believe but that they exemplify amongst us. A woman called Lois. An example of a faithful witness for her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder tonight, the call and responsibility not only for children, not only for parents, But even, Father, when we reach that stage of being a grandparent, Lord, that you still call us to a place of responsibility. And we thank you, Father, for the godly, spiritual grandparents that we have here at Little Farms. And, Father, for many of us, we can also say thank you for the family grandmother you gave us who did exactly what Lois did, who instructed us in the faith. Father, many did not have that privilege. And so we look around and we thank you. Thank you for those you have given to us in and through the work of Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.